0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 596 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic to genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm talking about Monster Kid Radio. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek and Cook, and please forgive me. This episode is going to be a little bit different, just like last week's, but for a different reason. I'm a little sick, uh, so I'm not 100%, but I really, really, really wanted to get this episode out. I have a recording. That I did was Sebastian Godin. He's a filmmaker, he's a friend of the show, been on the show before, and he's got a new movie in the works that we want to talk about here on the show. So we're going to talk about that. Unfortunately, the conversation got truncated, got cut off. We were using a different a way to communicate than we normally use, or than I normally use anyway, and there was a time limit that I wasn't aware of. Plus, I'm having some technology issues and I had to recreate some audio. It's a mess. You don't care about what happened behind the curtain. You don't care about how the sausage is made. You want to know what's going on with Monster Kid Radio and what's going on with this awesome chat with Sebastian Boudin. It's not just let's talk about the Go, though. We talk about his influences, some of the things that he's been up to, and we have a really good time chatting it up. Also, this week, of course, we've got Mark Matsky's Beta Capsule Review and... Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland, in which he references something that was announced on last week's episode of the podcast. So we're going to play all of that. We're going to get to all of that right now.
1: Sharky screamed and began pounding on the monster's rough skin as the power of its strike thrust them both to the surface. The water surged crimson and Sharky's eyes went wide with horror as he saw the familiar, stripe-like pattern running down the sides of the fish. It was enormous, the largest tiger shark he'd ever seen, 15 feet at least, and for just a moment, its doll-like black eyes seemed to glow green in the last rays of sunset. In Monster Shark on a Nude Beach, a shy marine biologist must up his game and stop a series of shark attacks at the Caribbean's most famous clothing-optional playground. Award-winning author Stephen D. Sullivan brings you this sexy, action-packed summer read, perfect for fans of The Meg and Jaws. Read three chapters free on Amazon. Find out more at buffbeach.com or sdsullivan.com.
2: Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Japanese folklore meets the future in the 41st episode of Ultra 7, Challenge from Underwater. A group of people who call themselves the Kappa Club go camping in the countryside in hopes of catching a glimpse of the elusive Kappa, a mischievous, legendary creature said to dwell in rivers and lakes. While speculating about the true nature of the cryptid, they meet a local man who claimed to have a real Kappa encounter, and while investigating the sighting, they're surprised by two figures emerging from the lake. However, it's Dan and Furuhashi in scuba gear conducting a search of their own in response to UFO reports. Soon, the Ultra Guard is set up camp near the lake, and when Dan senses the presence of an intruder, he chases a diminutive, fast-moving humanoid through the woods. Meanwhile, the Kappa Club continues their own search, but when one of their party is brutally murdered, the Ultra Guard redoubles their efforts to get to the bottom of things, something Dan accomplishes all too well. He becomes trapped beneath the lake's surface by the Kappa, who reveal themselves to be far more than a fairy tale. Challenge from Underwater is an admirable standalone episode that is especially appropriate for spooky season viewing. That's because the first dozen minutes take place in the dark forest, concentrating on the Kappa Club's cryptozoological pursuits. In fact, a full eight minutes pass before a familiar Ultra Guard face appears, and by then, an atmosphere of mystery has been well established. From that point forward, it becomes a more conventional Ultra Seven story, which is no complaint. We get a bombing run, a kaiju fight, and another creative use of the eye slugger. But it's the tie-in to Kappa folklore that gives this episode its resonance, drawing on old yokai tales to tell a story of modern people engaging with the unexplained as an amateur pastime. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Mansky reporting.
3: A hideous journey into the dark world where nightmares are born. Now, visit one of the most mysterious corners of the world, where unbelievably cruel, barbaric customs are still practiced.
4: Aren't you growing up a little fast, little boy? You tell me.
3: Carla. The sensual one. No mortal man could satisfy her inner cravings. She searched for her unnatural pleasures by night when it was on the prowl.
1: He does not devour his victims. He merely satisfies himself on them.
5: But they get torn to pieces. <laughs>
3: Listen to the beat of your heart, Marianne. You hear the beat of fear within you, fear that will rise to a shattering crescendo of terror. You have strayed into a world of evil where frightened people are held in the grip of unearthly horror. Beware of pity for the handsome prisoner in the Castle Meister. Beware of love, for in your heart is only the pulsating throb of terror. Starring Peter Cushing as the Doctor locked in mortal combat with overwhelming evil. <laughs> also starring Frida Jackson as Greta, who served the vampires with insane loyalty. You <laughs> <Look. sighs> not be afraid. She's dead. Martita Hunt, the Baroness victim of her own son beautiful Yvonne Molore France's latest sex kitten as Marianne whose beauty was her passport to the twilight world of the undead Ah! David Peel as the Baron, blindingly handsome, yet his kiss transformed the most beautiful girls into monsters.
5: Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Last week, Derek announced his engagement to Beth, and now the wedding plans are underway. They need look no further than Famous Monsters of Filmland to find ideas for a perfect monster kid wedding ceremony. Today we will see Famous Monsters, a monster kid bridal magazine. First up, let's see what ideas we can get from The Brides of Blood, which we find in FM 99 from July of 1973. Dr. Paul Henderson, American naturalist, and his beautiful wife Carla, together with Jim Farrell, Peace Corman, arrive on, you guessed it, Blood Island. Henderson has been sent by the Atomic Energy Commission to investigate rumors of mutations of plant and animal life following atomic tests in the Pacific. On their arrival on the island, the three observe a native funeral procession for two decapitated island girls. Later, the three learn that the girls were killed by an evil one who terrorizes the jungle from time to time. Stephen Powers, a wealthy plantation owner, visits the trio and invites them to his home. There, Carla almost becomes the victim of a man-eating plant. Powers is apparently an epileptic, tended to by a huge bodyguard and servants who are dwarfs. In the end, it turns out that Powers is the evil one, the terror of the jungle, a victim of radiation which causes him to change from time to time into a hideous monster complete with an abnormal desire to attack and behead native girls. He is trapped by Jim and the villagers and they manage to destroy him with fire as he rampages through the village. As the Beastman dies, the cleansing flames transform him to the body of Steven Powers. Well, that wasn't much help. Let's see. I'm sure we'll find some good tips with the Bride of the Monster from Monster World 5. Voronov sends Lobo to get some extra equipment and without warning, Janet revives from the trance. This time she is tied securely to the table with the metallic atom bowl upon her head, and demands to be released, but Bornoff shakes his head, assuring her that everything will be all right. It hurts just for a moment, and then you will emerge a woman of superior strength and beauty, the bride of the atom. She protests, saying that the authorities will find her, but Bornoff counters that no one can save her. But, as if in defiance of his opinion, Craig, a pistol in his hand, bursts in and orders Vornoff to keep his hands in the air. But the mighty Lobo stalks in behind him. Janet, seeing him, tries to warn Craig, but seconds too late, for as he turns, he is dealt a heavy blow across the head by Lobo. Craig collapses unconscious and is dragged away at Vornoff's command. Well, that wasn't much good either. Surely we'll be inspired by the Brides of Dracula found in FM8. Fleeing in horror from the house of the undead, Marianne runs into a funeral procession. Lying in the casket is the body of a girl from whose neck trickles a thin stream of blood. The villagers, always suspicious of strangers, suspect Marianne of being the vampire who caused the girl's death, and pursue her straight into the arms of the Baron, at whose sight she faints. She is saved by the morning crow of a cock, which is a warning to the vampire that he must return to his coffin. When Van Helsing learns what has happened, he realizes the immediate grave danger to the district and acts at once to uncover and destroy the undead. Two female vampires are lured from their graves and stakes driven through their hearts. But the wily baron, disciple of Dracula himself, eludes the doctor's every stratagem. Worse, this unholy creature bites Marianne turning her into one of his brides. This is really getting frustrating. Surely, The Devil's Bride has something that will help us. One of the best terror flicks ever to come from Hammer Studios was The Devil's Bride. Based on Dennis Wheatley's famed novel, The Devil Rides Out. Christopher Lee played the Duc de Resoulou, a French nobleman of the early 20th century who sort of doubled in the role of White Warlock to combat the evil of Black Warlock Mukata. Charles Gray. During the course of the film, Mokata conjures up various demons, one in the form of a huge spider, before Lee is able to send him riding off with his unholy master into hell. This is ridiculous. Again, useless information. Let's go to the most famous of them all, The Bride of Frankenstein from FM 21. The Vision of the Vitalized Woman. Rings an expression of awe from the thin lips of Pretorius, who, to organ-like music, declares, The Bride of Frankenstein. And indeed it is she, the most fascinating face of fantasy ever seen upon the screen. Seven feet tall, she towers, dwarfing her creators, her great shock of jet-black hair flaring up from her forehead, fanning like a peacock's tail and from her temples, waves of platinum white, streamlined strands of shining silver to match the electrical elements which brought her brain and body to life. Wide staring eyes, red pouting lips, heart-shaped bee-stung, crimson scars like needlework, outlining her ears and gashing their way along her throat, her eyebrows angling off toward infinity. Woman of wonder, creature incredible. There we go. Finally, some fashion tips. What about ideas for the actual ceremony? The monster now appears to claim his bride. Hands held out, fumbling for friendship. It approaches its female counterpart from behind. She takes one quick sidelong glance at her big romance and reacts in a way that I will never forget till my dying day. I think I am safe in saying that, for I vividly recall her appearance across a gulf of 27 years She shrieks. There is no other word for it. She invented the sound to fit the unique circumstances, a strident, frenzied, choking expression of horror and revulsion, forced from a throat clogged with terror. To complicate matters, at that moment, Elizabeth, who has broken free of her bonds and escaped from the cave, comes pounding at the door, begging Henry to flee for his life. The monster shows compassion, orders his former master, go. You go. We belong dead. The monster contemplates its female counterpart plaintively. She opens her mouth to scream, but only a snake-like hiss issues from between her strange lips. Pretorius pleads for mercy, escape, but the monster refuses to spare his life. The monster permits just time enough for Frankenstein and his wife to get safely away. Then the monster allows the weight of its great arm to pull down the fatal lever. There is a tremendous explosion that rocks the countryside as Laboratory, Watchtower, Pretorius, Assistants, The Unwed Bride, and The Notorious Living Dead Monster are blown to a billion bits. (coughs) Well, I guess FM isn't the best source for wedding advice after all. Sorry about that, Chief. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next week. For MKR, this is Kenny saying, adios.
4: Rex, do you believe in evil as an idea? Do you believe in the power of darkness? That's a superstition. Now there you are wrong. The power of darkness is more than just a superstition. It is a living force which can be tapped at any given moment of the night. Why, on one night of one year, should these people live in mortal fear? of mentis the devil himself christopher lee as de Richelieu, who knows he must fight the devil's power to the death my god don't look at the eyes rex eyes eyes once filled with love are consumed with fear for tanith is now promised to the devil Listen carefully to what I say. This is MacArthur, the devil's chief disciple. Your will is leaving you slipping away. The devil rides out from bestseller author Dennis Wheatley's famous novel, fills the screen with a special kind of visual terror. you think quickly. Back to back. Join hands. You will hear his evil. You will feel his evil. You will see his evil. If we once catch sight of his face, Bride of Reanimator step into the lab of the brilliant Dr. West. Uh, what are you doing back here? Uh, we will create new life. He knows that every body has a good part. This is the key to creating life. Reanimated parts. And now, he's taking the best part of everybody. body. Look what we've done. Others are not going of be about to. To create the perfect woman. There is my creation.
3: We
4: created a life. Reanimator stars Jeffrey Combs, Bruce Abbott, and David Gale return for the terror. West took my body, but he cannot take my mind. Kathleen Kinmont of Halloween 4 co stars. Are we having fun yet? <laughs>
0: Bride of Reanimator. Sebastian Gadane. Welcome back to Monster Kid Radio.
6: I'm so happy to be back here. It's always, always, always a thrill.
0: One of these days, we're going to have you on to just talk about a movie just to hang out. But this time around, we do have an agenda, and we're going to get to that. But first, what's going on in the cinematic world of Sebastian Godain?
6: I had uh, Abominations of Frankenstein come out on DVD uh, through my own company, through Melting Man Films. People can find it at meltingmanfilms.com. It's like a wild, no-budget, hammer, Jess Franco mashup with Anthony D.P. Mann, who some some listeners might be familiar with podcasting royalty, right there. Absolutely, and like a, just a great, great actor. Just the people who really love that that brand of old timey theatrical villainy will love Anthony D. B. Man in Abominations of Frankenstein. Besides that, I had a director for hire gig that uh, some listeners might remember called The Damnation of Dracula. Uh, that was shot in Niagara and is currently in post production. Um, I shot a short film called bad luck streak and dancing school, which was like a sixties sci-fi kind of art house mashup. And I, uh, I've been working on this current project too. So it's been busy, busy, busy.
0: What was the short called? I don't think I'm familiar with that one.
6: A bad luck streak and dancing school, which is uh, currently doing the festival circuit. And it's about a, uh, dancer who has to fight with the, uh, strange eldritch horror that lives beneath her dancing school
0: that title that's the name of an album by uh, warren's Zevon, isn't it?
6: It is it was my well, probably my favorite songwriter
0: right on you know i'm going through your facebook page trying to keep up with everything that you've got going on and i saw that you just posted that you can even download or listen to the soundtrack from abominations of frankenstein right now
6: and it's a great soundtrack uh mike my, tr- my treble Cox score is beautiful. It's like right up there with Richard Band. That that was the main influence for the score, and I I think he nailed it.
0: And y'all know I love my soundtracks. I can vouch for that. Anyway, you got a new movie
6: in the works, man. It's called The Daughters of Dunwich.
0: You throw in a word like Dunwich, and you're going to get the Lovecraftian juices flowing.
6: I'm sure that was by design, right? Yeah, I've always wanted to do Lovecraft. Always. Yeah? Oh, God, yeah. Especially the Dunwich Horror. That's my favorite favorite short story of his. Do you remember when you first discovered Lovecraft? I first discovered Lovecraft when I was in junior high, and I discovered an anthology of Lovecraft in the school library. And I had read... I'm trying to remember what the first story I read was. It may have been Dagon.
0: Ooh.
6: Uh, To date, Dagon is one of the creepiest things I've ever read. Just the last paragraph. It stuck with me. I was addicted ever since. I just started to uh, consume as much Lovecraftian media as I could.
0: Nice. Yeah, when I first discovered Lovecraft, it was in an anthology as well. It was the uh, story the rats in the walls that got me. And I was always familiar with Lovecraft, you know, through gaming and things like that. But I had never read anything until then. And it just, it grabbed me. It it had me. It, It sunk its eldritch hooks into me. So that's awesome. So, Daughters of Dunwich, I know it's not just a straight-up adaptation. I know you better than that, man.
6: (laughs) It's a sequel.
0: Oh, okay.
6: I basically approached a a, a dear friend of mine, John Miori, who, uh, he's a filmmaker in his own right, Creature from Cannibal Creek and uh, Ouija Shark 2, which just came out. And I approached him and asked if he had an idea, if he had ever wanted to do Lovecraft. And he said, yeah. And I said, I've always wanted to do the Dunwich Horror And he, like, pitched me this idea that would be like Agatha Christie by way of Lovecraft, where the last remaining members of the Waitley clan would gather for the reading of a will. And the prized possession, of course, is the Necronomicon. And somebody starts picking the family members off that night. So it's a little bit of, uh, and then there were none mixed with the Dunwich horror.
0: All that just sounds cool.
6: (laughs) It is cool. The script is one of the coolest things I've ever read. And I I mean that. Absolutely. It is so good. It's Agatha Christie. It's Lovecraft. It's a lot of like the Corman Poe stuff. There's a lot of like Mask of the Red Death peppered in there. It's just everything that anybody who's like a big fan of classic horror literature will really, really, really dig, I think.
0: I'm looking at your Indiegogo page, and listeners, that's what this is about, is the Indiegogo page, but I'm looking at your Indiegogo page, and you wrote that adapting Lovecraft is a notoriously difficult task, and that's very true. For you, what are some of your favorite Lovecraft adaptations? Not necessarily those that have influenced what you're doing with Daughters of Dunwich, but just in general, favorite Lovecraft adaptations?
6: I love the 1970s Dunwich horror with Dean Stockwell. I I think that's a great, great movie. I think it's very underappreciated, and I I definitely went back to it when John and I were brainstorming ideas for the film. Um, I really love The Haunted Palace with Vincent Price. Um, Stuart Stuart Gordon's Dagon, I quite like. Um, From Beyond, obviously. Uh, The Brian Yezney anthology Necronomicon is a really undervalued one. I know that Lovecraft is a difficult thing to adapt, and therefore there, there are a lot of like not very well-regarded Lovecraft adaptations, but I feel like there's also a lot of really cool unsung gems out there, and I, I, I enjoy even the bad ones to an extent. And remember, I don't think these are bad movies. I just don't think they're great adaptations. Um, the Lurking Fear, the full moon one.
0: Oh, okay, okay.
6: That's a fun movie. It's kind of like this like noirish monster movie programmer. Um, I always liked that one quite a bit. Uh, the unnameable. That's a really fun movie. Has very little to do with the short story, but it's very fun.
0: Oh, I really like the unnameable a lot.
6: Yeah, that's one of my favorite movie monsters.
0: Heck, I even like the sequel, man.
6: I like the sequel a little bit more. Really? Yeah, I think I like, uh, I just like the character dynamics more. And it, you get more out of everybody. But I think the first one has the better creature design. Yeah,
0: I, I'd agree with you there.
6: but. I think my three favorites are probably the Dunwich Horror from 1970 and uh, Necronomicon, then Dagon.
0: You know, Dagon, if it wasn't the world premiere, it was at least the North American premiere. I just remember that at the Lovecraft Film Festival, they showed it there and it was a big deal. And I remember going into it thinking, well, not really knowing what to think. And when I came out of it, I thought, wow, that was that was something special.
6: It's a great, great film. And it's it's genuinely scary. Like, it's probably Stuart Gordon's, like, most frightening film, I think.
0: Stuart Gordon, master filmmaker, and and we love what he did. Reanimator, you know, a classic in the genre. But is it
6: scary? I I don't know. It's pretty over the top. But Dagon, that one, ooh, it's unnerving. Absolutely. Another one that I just remembered that I love that nobody talks about is The Resurrected with uh, Chris Sarandon. Yeah. Who's brilliant in it. He's so good. Yeah. Yeah. It's... And it's, it's one of the few ones that really captures the vibe of Lovecraft, because it's told via flashback. It's really kind of got that Moorish vibe to it with the detective character. It, uh, it's it got a very slow burn. I love The Resurrected. That, that would probably be in my top five. Hey, you're not wrong. It's a good one, too.
0: You know, one that I really liked that I saw, again, at the Lovecraft Film Festival years ago, was 2008's Beyond the Dunwich Horror by Richard Griffin. And I bring that up because...
6: He did our poster.
0: Yeah, he did the poster. How cool is that? Yeah. You know, Richard Griffin, mainstay in my physical media collection, Beyond the Dumbage Horror. I love the Disco Exorcist, man. It's such a trip. Have, have
6: you seen his Frankenstein and Dracula movies?
0: I don't think I have.
6: Uh, Frankenstein's Hungry Dead and Sins of Dracula. They're good stuff. Yeah? Oh, yeah. I'll have
0: to double check. I, I don't think I've seen them. What the heck? I'll put them on the to watch list. Like I said, I love the Disco Exorcist. It's just so over the top. And did he do the one with the
6: nuns? Oh, none of that? Yes, that was him. (laughs) So, oh, man. He's great. You know, it, it was so funny because I was trying to watch as many Dunwich horror related things as I could as we were coming up with the main skeleton of the script. And I came across his movie. And then I posted saying, I just need somebody to do a quick conceptual poster for the Indiegogo campaign. And he was the first one. To message about it
0: how cool is that
6: so it was just a really fun coincidence a nice little bit of synchronicity
0: it's all just coming together man it's like it was me- like it was written in the stars or the stars are right or i i don't know anyway what is it about the dunwich story that you like so much
6: you know i think it's just uh, from a conceptual standpoint it has a lot of elements that are immediately familiar to genre fans like it's a at its core what it's about is good guys trying to stop A monster from tearing apart a village and I think that like the fact that it's also got these elements of occultism this idea of people breeding with monsters and creating half-human creature things and like the character of Wilbur Wakeley himself I don't know there's something about it that just captured my imagination from the moment I first discovered it it's this like cosmic duel of faiths which I find really exciting uh it's only a downfall, and I've complained about this ever since I first read the stories, that Wilbur shouldn't have died so abruptly in it. Spoilers, man. Oh, boy. Spoilers for anybody who hasn't read the Dunwich Horror. <laughs> but, yeah. No, I just, again, I just loved it. I love how, like, the narrative is very straightforward, but especially for Lovecraft, the themes are very rich, and they're very they're varied in it as well. It kind of bounces around. Themes of faith, of fear, of uh, family, so on and so forth, and I—it I, was those themes that I really wanted to center in on with this with this project.
0: Very cool. Now, as a monster kid, one of the things that I love about your movies is that you're not afraid to celebrate your influences, the kinds of movies you were watching uh, at the time. Uh, the creation or conception of these movies, the kinds of things that went into uh, inspiring you to make whatever movie you're making at the time. And I'm hoping we're going to get that with the daughters of Dunwich.
6: Absolutely. Um, The main influence from a directorial standpoint on this is a little less esoteric than my last few have been Um, because this one's a total Corman uh, ripoff. I say ripoff affectionately, but like my main inspiration for the direction of the film and the character dynamics, like I said, was the Corman Poe stuff that he did with AIP. So there's gonna be a lot of that. Um there's also kind of like a I, I don't want to spoil anything, but towards the end, the story gets a little frenetic. It gets pretty wild and there's gonna be a shift in the style at that point to resemble some more contemporary filmmakers who I don't want to reference because I feel like it might give stuff away. <laughs>
0: Again, no spoilers. No spoilers, man. At least, yeah. Anyway, when I look at your Facebook page, I show that leading up to the launch of the crowdfunding campaigning, through the crowdfunding campaign, you've been sharing your inspirations for this particular movie. And we've already talked about one of them. You mentioned the Dunwich Horror earlier in this conversation and on Facebook. And as far as I'm concerned, that movie does not get talked about enough.
6: It, it is so good. And Stockwell, you know, his um his Wilbur Wadley, it's a far cry from the character of the short story, but true. what a great performance. Like, what a great performance.
0: Yeah, everything about that movie, as far as I'm concerned, is great. Stockwell's great. Ed Buckley Jr., Sam Jaffe, I mean, the cast, Sandra D it's just, all in all, a great cast and a good film.
6: Oh, yeah. I think that the best stuff in that movie is the stuff between him and Sam Jaffe. I could have watched those two play off each other forever. Especially their last scene together. I just love that shift. That shift in the power dynamic between the two.
0: So, so good. When did you first see The dumb do you remember?
6: Yeah, so this is going to really illustrate my age right now. Because the first time I ever watched it was on an iPod Touch. <laughs> wow. It was like, yeah, I, I got this iPod Touch and it had enough storage space for one movie. So I was told to pick one movie off iTunes and I always wanted to see this *Dunwich* horror adaptation, so that's the one I chose. And I would watch it in like bits and pieces between classes in junior high.
0: <laughs> I love that so much.
6: Yeah, it was a it was a pretty fun way to experience it for the first time because it was almost like watching it as a serial in like little five minute chunks.
0: That's awesome. That's just awesome. And I could talk to Dunwich Horror, and and I have talked to the Dunwich Horror on the show in the past. Uh, just. I love that movie. But it's not the only movie that you are citing as a direct influence on you or on the Daughters of Dunwich. You mentioned another movie, which is pretty much the movie that defined the subgenre, the prototypical old Dark House movie, the old Dark House. What is it about this movie that speaks to you?
6: There's something about the awkwardness of the character dynamics in it that I really, really want to capture amongst the Waitley clan. Again, I'm not going to spoil anything, but Ernest Thessinger's character in The Old Dark House, that is totally a model for one of the main characters in The Daughters of Dunwich.
0: Really? Oh, okay.
6: Oh, oh, yeah. It's great. I, I mean, John's script is so clever, and he captured all these influences and melded them together so organically. It's almost like this uh, buffet of classic horror influences influences ranging from the 20s to the 80s. like, And it's all just melded so beautifully together. If we do it right, which I think we will, if we can, then it's going to be uh, it's going to be something that like makes whole gamuts of classic horror fans very happy. I think,
0: if you do it right, then you've long earned my trust as a filmmaker. Come on, the old Dark House, you know, it's James Whale, it's a classic Universal film. For a while, people thought it was lost, but it's readily available now. The entire cast is great. You know, Thessinger, Karloff, Gloria
6: Stewart, Charles Lawton. Oh, he's great. Oh, he's so fantastic. He's always fantastic, but he is so much fun in that movie, especially. Lawton's great. And, you know, I don't know
0: how James Whale pulled this off. He's a master filmmaker, and I feel like I've thrown that term around a lot lately, but he's a master filmmaker, master of his craft. He was able to take this group of characters, this ensemble, and while they all are in this awkward situation and there is that awkwardness to it, it still feels very natural, like, they're doing everything that they would normally do as awkward as it is
6: i find that movie's like sensibilities and it, like its sense of humor in particular very very modern feeling like it like because we've kind of had like this big surge in like humor that is very off kilter and kind of awkward and uncomfortable like comedy stemming from just uncomfortable situations and that's all that old dark house is i think you could take that script shoot it as like a sketch comedy and it would still land.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I think you're right.
6: But I'm glad it was instead made in the 30s by James Whale because the movie looks beautiful and has some of the most gorgeous black and white cinematography I've ever seen. Oh, it's gorgeous. It is.
0: There's one other movie that I want to bring up real quick. And you've mentioned others on your Facebook page, but this one caught my attention. And it's certainly not something that we normally talk about on Monster Kid Radio. It's definitely outside the Monster Kid Radio. wheelhouse. Fulci. The Beyond. Lucio Fulci's The Beyond. So I don't know how you're going to do this, but you're putting The Dunwich Horror, The Old Dark House, and The Beyond in a blender. I don't know what it's going to taste like, but I want that smoothie.
6: Yeah, you know, um, because John is, I mean, I'm a huge Italian horror fan. I love Fulci. I love Argento. I I love those guys. Um, But John really loves them. And he really wanted to, like, incorporate that kind of vibe to it. I will not say how it ties in, but the moment it starts happening, anybody who knows the Beyond is going to point to the screen and say, that's from the Beyond.
0: I I can't wait. I can't wait to see how this turns out. And, you know, speaking of G, might might as well mention it now. I have been considering reanimating, resuscitating, bringing back in some way, shape or form, not sure yet, but my old zombie movie podcast.
6: That's how I first heard about you. Through Mail Order Zombie? Yeah. I used to listen to Mail Order Zombie uh boy when was that was like seventh grade eighth grade i used to listen to it weekly
0: and now i really feel old
6: (laughs) thanks buddy you know it (laughs) i but i discovered like so many movies through that podcast like i think that's where i first heard about lucio fulci oh wow yeah
0: well then maybe i've done my job maybe i don't need to bring it back it's already done what it needs to do
6: yeah i mean it was great and then when i found out that you had done this other podcast That also catered to my very specific interests. I just knew you were, like, a golden human being.
0: Ah, shucks. (laughs) Uh, You know, Fulci, it's not for everybody. You know, his stuff can be a little over the... It it can be pretty graphic, pretty gory, and specific tastes. But Fulci didn't flinch. And that's something that I see in what you do, is that you don't flinch. No. And, And I'm not saying that... And listeners, please, I'm not saying that Seb's movies are like over-the-top gore-fest or anything like that. But if something weird is going to happen on screen, you let it happen. You don't hold back. You let whatever's going to happen happen and let it happen in the best way possible.
6: I'm, I'm just a big believer in the idea that you should always commit to what you want to see. And, you know, the right audience will get it. The right audience is going to get it no matter what. So I've just always committed to that idea. And I feel like guys like Fulci and Roland, all all the filmmakers I love, every filmmaker ranging from like German expressionists to uh, tokusatsu filmmakers to Italian gore filmmakers to French vampire art house filmmakers. They all had very singular visions and they both they trusted that the audience would be there for them. So I have to do the same.
0: I know that I'm going to be there for you, and hopefully everybody else will be there for you as well. We'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to the Indiegogo campaign. Because, you know, the more people that show up, the more likely this movie will actually get done. And, you know, I want to see it. So, again, make sure you check out the link in the show notes. You know, Seb has, as I said earlier, more than earned my trust as a filmmaker. He knows what he's doing. But he can't keep doing it without your support. And if you want to see a Lovecraftian film that takes influences from everything from Agatha Christie to Lucio Fulci, which is a sentence I don't think I would have ever thought about saying before in my life, you want to check it out. Uh, Tell me about the cast.
6: Oh, God. Yeah, we've got Jackie Kelly, who's like an up and up and coming. She's been doing indie horror forever. She's done so much at this point. We've got Steve Cassan, who I've worked with on Blood rites of the Vampire and uh, Abominations of Frankenstein. He's got over 200 credits to his name. Insanely prolific guy. We've got Ali Chappell from Necropolis Legion, also from Abominations of Frankenstein. We've got Anthony D.P. Mann, who I mentioned earlier. We've got Conal Pendergast, who is an Ontarian filmmaker. Who He's a big Paul Blaisdell fan, so he's made like a couple monster movies with Blaisdell-inspired designs. We got a few coming up that I don't want to reveal just yet. I've been trying to spread out the casting announcements over the course of the Indiegogo campaign, but it's a proper actor's film. It's mostly people in a house with a bunch of monsters and uh, crazy stuff going on.
0: And you're him back Mike Treblecock for the music?
6: Absolutely. He's a, he's a necessity as far as I'm concerned.
0: Who's doing the makeup effects? I don't know anything about the person here, David Bennett black.
6: Yeah. David Bennett black. I uh, met him recently in Toronto and uh, he's just this guy who's been doing his own like effects based short films that he releases on VHS and sells on his own. And like he immediately caught me with just how like passionate and loving he is towards what he does. And I asked him if this was something he'd be interested in. And he, he said, if I get to build monsters and I'll do it for nothing. So that, that was the right attitude. Sign him up right away. Get that in writing. Yeah, I, I did. <laughs> They're all great people. Otherwise, I wouldn't work with them. Oh, and we've also got Kyle Heighton in producing. He produced my last short film. He is just a, uh, he's just a workhorse. He knows how to put together a crew and really get something done. So he's the best producer you could ask for for a micro-budget movie. Yeah,
0: you know, this just sounds awesome and it's super inspiring to me too. And, you know, I just, I can't wait to see it. Um, at this point, I know we're focusing on this, but is it too early to think about what's coming up next for you? Anything you want to talk about?
6: I'm going to get this. I'm hopefully going to get this movie done and then uh, jump into the next one.
0: Right on, man. I I can't wait to see this thing done. I'm sure it's going to happen because I know... People are craving good stories and good Lovecraftian adaptations. And, you know, I'm a big fan of what you do. I, I I know it was work for hire, but I cannot tell you how many times I've sat down to rewatch Ouija Mummy. I mean, I just I love what you do, man. Ah, oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> it's got your fingerprints all over it, man.
6: It does. It definitely does.
0: And, you know, like I said, Seb has always supported Monster Kid Radio. We've even been able to play a number of his movies over on our Twitch channel, over the Monster Kid Movie Club on Twitch. So, you know, he supported us. Let's support him. You can support Daughters of Dunwich for as little as $7. I can't think of anything else that you can do with $7 that's going to make me happy. So, you know, please go support Seb over there. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes or just look up Daughters of Dunwich or The Daughters of Dunwich, on Indiegogo.
6: Yeah, for real.
0: Thank you for listening to Monster Kid Radio. So, I have a little bit more of that conversation with Seb that I'm going to sit on and try to correct. Like I said, I had some technical issues. My microphone wasn't connected the way it was supposed to be. So, it's going to take some work to try to make it uh, listenable, at least to meet my standards. So, you'll hear that in the future. Seb, I'm sorry (laughs) that we're not getting the full Gaudetian experience, but the bottom line is I wanted to make sure that we had an opportunity to talk about what you're doing with the Daughters of Dunwich. So there's that. Anyway, that's what we've got for this week's episode of the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thanks for listening. Thank you to Kenny. Thank you to Mark. Thank you to everybody. And, hey, we got some voicemail real quick here from Captain Billy.
1: Hey, Derek. Hey, group. Captain Billy here. I just and I'm as in I mean I'm sitting in the parking lot in my car. I just walked out of the uh 3D Dawn of the Dead. Uh 322 on the East Coast. So I have like that's function in my brain, that's my I wanted to call immediately before I forget everything. Uh the three well I mean we all know the movie appears to be the general issue print as opposed to one of the re-edit I know there's at least four different versions of the versions of the movie. It appears to be the original American edit, as I remember, it. I haven't watched this movie probably since the 90s at some point, but uh, everything was there that I remember being there, actually there was a couple extra scenes I didn't remember, but uh, I won't go into that, I'm going to talk about the 3D conversion, here's to be a Korean group, I don't know the who, the why, the how, they started up, they did not give you a warning about putting your 3D glasses on, so the trailer ended, I thought I was going to get a warning, Or usually you get a 3D trailer right before the movie starts, that didn't happen. So I kind of threw it So they showed the name of the company that did the conversion. I don't remember who it is. I'm sure somebody out there can look up on the internet. Um, but briefly, it was a good conversion. I had for the first third of the film, as in not the of, uh, of each scene, not the first third of the movie, each scene about the third of the, way of the depth worked real good. Once you got it further back, scenes that went further back, like took the long shots inside the department stores, you lost that depth of field. Uh, like on shelving units and that kind of thing. So it worked, to, like the, the things that are in the immediate foreground. You had two or three layers of depth, and it was really good. I mean, especially like the opening credits, and some of the stuff where blood flies in the screen, or glass flies in the screen. That was really excellent. But once you got packed, that, going out of the way in five, six, eight feet uh, film-wise. Stuff in the background flattened out. Uh, I only noticed this because if you go see Tice, if you had seen Tice Hag in 3D, as I you just talking about 3D movies, The field, the depth of field was amazing in that film. That stuff went all the way back, all the way down. Everything was in 3D, all the way to the back of every shot. So so I noticed that that it only worked that way. And the other thing I noticed that was weird, there were certain scenes that were just out of focus. uh, Where uh, Roger, the blonde SWAT member, is trapped between the trucks and he starts shooting zombies. That scene's out of focus. It so only takes 10 or 15 seconds, but it's out of focus. And then the major scene is at the end of the movie, uh, one of the gang members is, well, he gets shot as he's leaving the mall on a motorcycle, and about a dozen zombies surround him, and he starts getting his gun out or starts fighting him. That entire 8, 10, 15 seconds is just completely out of focus. And I don't remember anything like that. So the out of focus scene like something really struck me as weird, so... But again, it's Dawn of the Dead. A good time is had by all. So, Derek, have a great show. Keep up the good work. Thanks again. I'll talk to you later.
0: You know, I was at the movies last night with Beth, and uh, I showed or I saw that they were still showing Dawn of the Dead in 3D. Now, I can't go tonight. I was. I, I wonder if I can still see it, uh, but I'm going to be out of town tonight, and uh, I don't know if it'll be playing into next week. But uh, I've not heard uh, any other real reports about the movie. So, thanks for calling in, Captain Billy. I'm glad you had fun. It sounds like you had a good time. But, yeah, sometimes when they do that up-conversion to 3D, sometimes you do have some issues. Uh, I've heard of that kind of problem with other movies before. But, yeah, anyway, I mean, you still got to see it on the big screen, right? That's pretty darn cool. Speaking of 3D movies, (laughs) I did not plan this. But speaking of 3D movies, it looks like we're going to have Chris McMillan on the show next week to talk about House of Wax. I know we've talked about House of Wax in the past, but I want to revisit it. I want to get some Vincent Price going on here on the show. So, yeah, Chris McMillan from The Shadow Over Portland, House of Wax, next week tentatively, fingers and tentacles crossed. Of course, if you want to know anything about Monster Kid Radio, head over to monsterkidradio.net, where you've got links to everything that we've talked about here on the show, including a link to the Indiegogo page for The Daughters of Dunwich, I worry that I said the Daughters of Darkness at some point in this recording, but I don't have time to go back to double check. So, uh, yeah, it's the Daughters of Dunwich. Go look that up. Of course, link in the show notes. meltingmanfilms.com as well, link in the show notes. Links to everything that we've talked about here on the show. If you use the Amazon affiliate links, it kicks a few bucks back to us. So please consider using those Amazon affiliate links, especially now that we're starting to get into the holiday season and you know, all those holidays you want to buy gifts for. If you just use the generic Amazon affiliate button, which is the uh, Frankenstein monster with the big egg in the middle of it, that just takes you to Amazon that puts you under the monster kid radio umbrella. Please consider doing your shopping using that link because it doesn't cost you anything extra. It just sends a few pennies my way and help support Monster Kid Radio. I'm transitioning jobs, so uh, that would really be helpful. Okay, let's wrap up. Let's get this out. I'm worried about getting this out on time. So, stop with the jibber-jabber and (laughs) wrap up the show, Derek. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC, is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license, My name is Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao.